into the Christmas season, this Advent season. Uh, now, you may not know this, but Christmas is uh, all about Jesus. Shocking, right? Like you're expecting something really profound and deep. But I'm telling you, Christmas is all about Jesus. This Advent season, I've already named it, but, but Advent, literally, the church, I forget what year it was, but they, they reached this point saying, man, Christmas has become something other than being about Jesus, right? And they, and they talked back in the day, we're talking, you know, over a thousand years ago, churches, Christmas has become more about consumerism. It's become about other things other than Jesus. We want to recapture this season for Jesus because we want to be a people who remember what God's done. But hear this. I want you to shift even your thinking about Christmas. We want to remember what God did in his coming. But we also want to celebrate the fact that he's coming again. So listen, the worship of, Je- listen, of Jesus at Christmas is not just that he came, but that he's coming again. There are two Christmases. They just look different. There's the Christmas when he came as a baby. There's the, there's a Christmas that he's coming as a conquering king to conquer everything and to take us home. There are two Christmases. And so our celebration then at Christmas is the reality of who Jesus is in his fullness. That he came and that he's coming again. And so the church wanted to recapture this mystery and the beauty of it. Do you know that every generation, including the apostles, including, including, including Paul, the early church fathers, every generation believed that Jesus was returning during their lifetime. How many of you, if vacation started tomorrow, would treat work differently today? Like, you, you know how, like, when you're, like, when you know you're about to, like, it's Friday, you're leaving, like, you're leaving Friday after work, and you're just going to drive all the way to Florida, and at midnight, you're going for a midnight stroll on the beach, right? Because you, everybody needs it, right? And so you're sitting there Friday. How many of you, your Friday at work would be a little bit lighter, a little bit different, and probably a little bit more, more filled with joy? You're probably a better person to be around. Why? Because vacation starts Tomorrow, you act different when you know vacation starts. And the point of this at Advent is, if you believe Jesus is coming tomorrow, it will, it will mean you'll act different today. You'll live differently today. The Advent season, the Christmas season, is this. It's to return us to a belief in the possibility that tomorrow, Jesus is returning. Christmas is coming again. And so as we enter then into this Advent season, this Christmas season, I want you, yes, we want to be a people who celebrate yesterday's coming, but who live today thinking that tomorrow he may return again. And Merry Christmas. We live in this place. And so I want you to recognize then, when we step into the holiday season, this Advent season, this Christmas season, all the excitement, all the stuff that's going on, I want you to think, Jesus, Christmas is all about him. Christmas is about Jesus, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Christmas is all about Jesus. Now, Christmas... Jesus was not actually, listen, 
Jesus was not actually born on December 25th. Do all of you know that, right? Let's go ahead and just kind of crush that bubble of yours, right? Jesus probably was not born on December 25th. When Constantine took the Roman Empire and said, hey, let's all be worshipers of Jesus today, he took a holiday called, called it's basically the birthday of the sun, S-U-N, and said, hey, let's turn it into the birthday, the celebration of the birthday of the sun, capital S-O-N, right? And so all of a sudden, now we have December 25th, is the day of celebration, trying to redeem a holiday that Everybody really enjoyed to turn it into a day of the celebration of the birth of the Son of God. So we have December 25th, the day that we celebrate. It's all exciting and it's all great. And in this day, it's supposed to be fully a day of worship, a season of worship. Christmas is about worshiping fully. We see it down here in the right corner of our screen. It says, worship fully. Christmas is to be about worshiping Fully in all that we are. Worshipping fully. Now here's the reason why. Worship is the human response to something that's magnificent. Worship is the human response to something that is magnificent. And the coming of Jesus, think of lead on the screen, the coming of Jesus, his birth, his life, his coming again. Listen, it is Truly holy and completely something that is magnificent. And all of us understand the worship of things that are magnificent. Last, last night, how many of you went outside, maybe say around six o'clock and saw the sunset? How many of you saw it? Raise your hand. Like you remember seeing the sunset last night. Listen, I walked outside during halftime of the games, right? And we were walking out and I just went, oh. Like one of those moments, right, when you look and you, listen, I love the outdoors. I would spend all of my time outside if I could. I don't care how hot or how cold it is. I love being outside. So last night I went outside, stood on my front porch, and I looked. And the colors that I, that I saw, right, were amazing. This thing about the sunset that you've seen, right, they're, they're, they're all inspiring. I sat there and I saw the reds and the oranges and the purples and the pinks and, and I watched as this little, this little bitty plane came flying across and I couldn't even hear it. And I'm like, oh, if I could only be in the plane and see this from, from that height and see everything, this was unbelievable. And in the moment, I literally worshiped. Because worship is simply giving praise and thanksgiving for something that's magnificent. So I sat there in the moment and I said, God, you're so good. Thank you for giving this gift to us. It was a kairos moment. In Greek, there are two types of time. There's chronos time, chronological, kind of by the clock. And then there's kairos time. And kairos time is time outside of time. Like, like, it's like when you say it could have been a minute, it could have been an hour. I don't really know how long it lasted the first time I saw my spouse. Oh, right. The whole moment, right? It's a kairos moment, right? But where time leaves you, you're undone in the moment, right? And this is what it was. I'm like, oh, and I worshiped. Because it was magnificent. When my girls were born, I stood in this hospital room. Randall having done all the work, right? But I'm sitting there. I get to enjoy the moment, right? She's laying there. I get to move around. I get to high-five the nurses. I get to walk around and, like, look at my baby, right? Like, oh! And I find myself just, just 
catapulted without any cause in my heart of my decision. I just found myself going, oh, this is so good. Oh, I can do this again, right? Well, I was like, what are you talking about? I literally said that. Let's do this again. Like, what, right? I just found myself. Like, high. my dad's outside, right? I walk outside. She's born. She's born. High five. When, I said, when Sarah was born, it was my mother-in-law. When I said, she's born. This is so good, right? I found myself. It was magnificent. It was praiseworthy. I found myself worshiping because it was so magnificent. This is the best day ever, right? I said that for both of my girls. This is the best day ever. When something magnificent happens, you find yourself in worship. Can I get an amen from Auburn fans? Literally. I'm sitting there last night watching my poor Alabama wife Fan wife, right? She's downstairs watching the game. I'm upstairs watching the Georgia Tech game. Oh, right? And at this whole moment, right? And I'm sitting there watching the end of the game. And, and all of a sudden, right? This, it's a 57 yard kick. And the kick goes up. And it's 55 yards. And the guy catches it, but two yards from the end line, right? And he takes off. And every Auburn fan, tied 21-21, whoever scores the next point, wins the game in, in, in regular time, right? And he takes off and he goes and he bears left. And every Auburn fan's going, go, go, go. And he gets to about the 45, 50-yard line and everyone they pan. And all of a sudden you see no Alabama players. And let me tell you what happened. Worship erupted. Literally, right? I mean, I mean, in all seriousness, like, yes, yes! People are probably in tears. Oh my gosh! Right, this whole moment, right? They come down. The players don't know how to respond. All, I mean, the, the, all the people, whoever, they start storming the field, right? Worship erupted for a long time. They're sitting inside and they're singing the, the Auburn anthem, right? The school song. I have no idea what it is. Don't sing it to me, right? But it's this beautiful moment for Auburn fans. In worship, I was just talking to, talking to Brian Ellis back here. He said, he said, literally, his neighbor's an Auburn fan, went outside and, and rolled his own yard. He had no tumors cornered. He literally said, it wasn't even, he said, he put it so high that he can't even reach it. What I mean, this is worship, right? And I'm not making any kind of idolatry. I'm like literally saying, it was a moment of true worship. This something, listen, something magnificent. People are saying, Albert's had the two greatest miracle plays back to back from two weeks. And they're literally in this moment, right? Every other fan's going, I wish that could happen to us, right? I mean, literally, as a Georgia fan, I'm like, why couldn't that have been us, right? You know, this whole thing going down, this worship, when something's magnificent, it causes us to instinctive, listen, instinctively erupt in worship. The two most magnificent, awe-inspiring events in human history both involve Jesus. Number one is his birth, and number two is the cross. Like, you can rank them. The two greatest things God's ever done is be born as a baby and for Jesus to die on the cross. Unashamedly, we can say the two greatest events, the most magnificent events in the history of the world. And so when I say to you, Christmas is about worship and worshiping fully, I'm saying it because Christmas 
is one of the most magnificent events in human history. And it should cause us to instinctively respond. And so when we come into the holiday season, I'm telling you, it is a season where we worship fully because of the work of God in coming as a baby. And it causes us and should cause us instinctively to worship because of the magnificence of what he's done. Now, the reality for us is we wrestle with the state that Christmas is in today, don't we? We're completely honest. We wrestle with the state of Christmas today. In reading and speaking to different people, one thing is clear. People live in tension with what they believe Christmas to, do, to be and how it actually plays itself out on, on a regular basis, right? Every year we have this on one level. There's still so much mystery. There's so much excitement. There's so much joy behind it. But on the other side, there is so much, and we use words like so much busyness, so much consumerism, so much guilt, and, and so much confusion, in fact, I had a couple of people just ask some questions, ask some questions and said, hey, to women specifically, give me some of the things that, that cause tension that you, that you deal with in the Christmas season. And so I'm just going to go through this list of things they named. You can see if you fit anywhere in here. Number one, they talked about like, the tension that comes from family obligations in complicated family relationships. Like, oh my gosh, I had to go to my parent-in-law's house one more time. Oh my gosh. My brother is coming over. Whatever it may be, right? We, oh, my, my child, who always, I love him, but whenever he comes around, causes me great tension. Oh, God, man, I'm so excited he's coming. Bless this time. Please pray for me, right? We live in the tension of family and family obligations and split families, and, and it's not easy, and it's difficult. We deal with work. We're like, this would be a season of just worse focusing on family and focusing on Jesus. And you find yourself on Christmas Eve being called to work. You're like, oh, I live in the tension of work and all the things I have to be doing. Or how about those who wrestle at Christmas with this perfection pressure? That they have this expectation of what Christmas is supposed to be like. And they spend all their time and energy trying to create the perfect Christmas, and all of a sudden somebody says something, and you snap, what are you talking about? You just ruined Christmas for me. Oh, my gosh. Christmas is about Jesus. Oh, my gosh. You completely ruined it. Oh, my gosh. It is perfection. Why? Because we spend all of our time and all of our energy saying, this needs to be perfect. So, so we're like, do we do Santa? Do we not do Santa? Do we do gifts? Do we not do gifts? Do we give to those in need? Do we kind of focus on ourselves? We live in the tension. What is the perfect Christmas, or maybe we struggle with the, the idea of overspending or appropriate spending. How many of you know families who, maybe yourself, who go and say, it's okay to have debt at Christmas. Let's go and open up a Christmas, it's going to be a Christmas, it's going to be a Christmas credit card, right? We're going to pay it off in three months. So we go into extreme debt, and then we get to the bill coming, and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot, <laughs> right? And we live in this moment of this tension, or maybe going with that's the balancing of kids' gifts and expectations. Like, like you know your neighbors are about to spend $1,000 on each child. 
And you're going, but we're going to buy three gifts that go along with the wise men. Because like, we hate the wise men, right? We need more than that. Do not love us, because if you loved us, you would do that. And so we live bound by the expectations of our children and the fear of letting them down and the fear of making them miserable at Christmas and the fear of now if they hate Christmas, they're going to hate Jesus and they're going to go to hell because of Christmas. I need to buy more gifts. And we live in the tension, right, of balancing this stuff. Or how about this? I don't know about you, but my to-do list multiplies by three or four at Christmas. The places I have to go, the people I have to see, and the things that I have to do. Right. It's like I have to go to this Christmas party, this Christmas party, this Christmas party. Got to buy this gift and do this and do this. It's like yeah, like my parents aren't going to understand me buying wells in Africa for them on Christmas. Right. It's like they just live in this tension of increased social expectations. Or for for or for how about this woman? It's like and if we're honest, we live at tension because. I gotta have, I have to eat 15 extra fattening meals at Christmas. And I've gotta go whole by, by, I have to go to January and like, I can't fit into my clothes and we live in this tension of our own appearance and I live in tension of all this stuff. Christmas is about worshiping fully. But we live in tension for what it's become. Listen, the tension, the tension is no more, no more real to me than driving through neighborhoods looking at Christmas lights. I drive by a house, and over here on the left, I see Santa Claus with eight tiny reindeer. And you can see they're in some flight pattern, right? The good ones have like, they kind of see like the front reindeers kind of lifted off the air. You see this flight pattern. And I look to see where that flight pattern is leading them. And I see that it's leading them right over the manger, right? Jesus, Joseph, Mary, Doc, watch out. Here they come, right? And they're living in the tension because I'm looking and I'm like, uh, who do I focus on, Santa Claus and Gis, or do I focus on Jesus in the manger? And so I sit there, I'm like, ah, oh, I scream at the top of my lungs, what's the madness here? Stop it, right? What's Christmas all about? Stop the madness. This whole thing going down, why? Because you see reindeer with a flight pattern right over to Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. And I'm like, oh, what are we doing? And it typifies. For me, the tension that we faced. I'm not making an indictment against Santa Claus or any of the reindeer. They're all sweet and cuddly, right? But, but what, but you know, that this represents the tension that we face. And so my desire is this at Christmas, that the flight pattern of what Christmas has come would stop overshadowing Jesus. And that we'd be a people in the midst of our tension is not going to go away, but we're able to come to the center of who Jesus is, find him, and be a people who in the season of Advent can say, we will worship fully because of the magnificence of what he's done, what he's doing, and that he's returning again. And that magnificence becomes what we see and that we instinctively are propelled into a life of worship in the holiday season. We want to dive into that this morning. Now, let me just say this. My goal is not to make you feel guilty. My goal is not to tell you everything you're doing wrong. 
My goal is not to tell you to change everything that you're doing at Christmas, right? That's not my goal. If you feel a level of guilt, it's not coming from me. Because this morning as I prayed, I mean, it was very, listen, it was very clear. Listen, you need to hear this. As I pray, as Grandma and I prayed this morning about 830, God spoke into our prayer time about today and said, I have compassion for the state that people are in today. I have a level of compassion for them. And so handle it, handle it, handle it compassionately and with grace. So God is compassionate. He's sensitive. He, he recognizes the tension that you're feeling, that you're wrestling with this Christmas season. Yes, he wants to bring about life for you, which may mean a change. But my goal isn't, tell, isn't to tell you how to change it. My goal, hear this, is to lead you, listen, is to lead you to the feet of Jesus. And out of love, he will speak to you the things that he is calling you to do. Do you hear that? My goal is to lead you to Jesus and let him tell you how you can engage this season. And I'm not going to pretend to be Jesus and the Holy Spirit and convict you and tell you what to do. Okay? So that's my goal, to lead you to the feet of Jesus. And I want to lead you there by speaking first. I want to speak truth. I want to speak truth about Christmas, truth about Jesus. And in leading you to that, that, that place of truth, my belief is worship will be birthed. So here's a phrase I want to give you. I want you to write it down, take a picture of it, something I want you to, to land on for yourself. I want you to keep it. I want you to remember it forever. Here it is. True worship, don't let me lose you, true worship begins with right theology. Now, don't tune me out because I use the word theology, okay? Theology is for everyone. Each of us have a theology about who God is. Because theology simply stated, theology is simply the study of God and God's relation to the world. That's all theology is. If you, if you were a learner about God, you want to learn about God, you want to learn how he relates to the world, then you love theology. That's all theology is. You want to, to being a learner and learning about how, a learner about God and a learner about how he relates to the world. So I want to say again, true worship begins with right theology. You have a right understanding of who God is and how he relates to the world. Theology, how God, how God, who God is and how he relates to us. And so I want to say true worship begins with right theology. Why? Because theology, right theology about God at Christmas leads us to the truth about who he is. And when we come to the truth of who he is, what happens? We see his magnificence and it causes us instinctively to worship. Every Christmas song that's most Christmas songs, unless they're about Santa Claus and Frosty and all that kind of stuff, like the, the real Christmas songs, you know what I'm talking about, right? The real Christmas songs, most of them have outstanding theology. They tell us who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's continuing to do. And so when we sit, listen, it's God's, like, it's like this subversive plan of Jesus. Let's create Christmas songs that pagans will sing on the radio every year, and you can sing along with them. 
You know I'm getting at like, like he said we're pagan. You know what I mean? People don't necessarily believe in what they're singing about. And every year they're singing about the coming of the Messiah and the incarnation, God with skin on. They're singing these songs, right, at the top of their lungs with their eyes closed. And we should be in worship because the song is speaking with the magnificence of who Jesus is. And we find ourselves undone driving the car and pulling over in worship because of who he is. Because we have a right theology about who he is and how he relates to us. And I know that happens to all of us. We all pull over in worship in tears, going, oh, God. It's never happened to me. I'm just not, not going to lie. But it should. How many of you, when we were singing, oh, come us adore him, that song we sang? I keep on forgetting the song we sang. Oh, come us adore him. How many of you, in that last song we sang before we did the liturgy piece, you found something stirring inside of you? It wasn't Christmas spirit. Yay. Ooh, spirit fingers. No, it was the Holy Spirit wooing you through right theology, through songs about the living God having come in a babe form. Stirring something inside of us. So right theology. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. You know the story. Linus told it to us, right? Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25, the story of the coming of Jesus. Read along with me in your Bible. If you have it, look on the screen. It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Now listen, press pause real quick. Everyone look at me. Stop looking at the screen. Look at me. Let me tell you something you need to... You need to re-engage. Christmas and the story of Christmas is complete absurdity. Everything about it. Like, it is of mythological proportions. This reminds me of good mythological stories that I read about in my books from Roman culture, right? This, to me, is purely mythological if I use my own mind because there is no way that something this absurd, this abstract could actually ever happen in real life. If you've lost the wonder of the story of Jesus, if you've lost the absurdities, the seeming blasphemy of it, then you need to re-engage it because that's the truth about this theology. Unless you are a Christian, you should never believe this because the story is too unbelievable in the, in the eyes of the world in science. This is absurd. No one would ever believe this if they're rational in their thinking apart from the faith birthed in us to say, we don't know why we believe or how it happened, but with everything inside of us, we believe this is the case. Science cannot prove this. Only faith can bring it alive inside of us. Read it as if you're an unbeliever who's never read it before. This story is absurd. It goes on. Mary, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they had sex, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Absurdity. Seriously, could you imagine? Can you imagine that, right? Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, seriously, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to give the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the first thing we see, absurdity, the virgin birth. We see it in verse, eight, uh, verse 18. But before they came together that sex, she was found to be a child of the Holy Spirit. Men, men, could you imagine sitting at the church on the day of your wedding? Your wife walks in with a pregnancy test. Says, hey, surprise, I'm pregnant. And you go, but we've never had sex. I know. Holy Spirit came and conceived, hey, Right? You'd be like, whatever, who's the dad, right? You completely call up the wedding. There's no way. This is the student. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Jesus came and impregnated you. Woo-hoo, whatever. You gone, right? The whole thing, man, where I'm out of here. Wedding called off. You'd go out there and say, guess what my, guess what she did, right? And you were out of there. But G- Holy Spirit comes, we see it, and, and, and comes and moves on Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Don't lose sight of the mystery. Don't lose sight of the miracle. Don't lose sight of the absurdity of it. This is the story that we sing about every holiday season. This is right theology, and it seems crazy. Second thing. He comes as Messiah, verse 20, 21. You are to give them the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Listen, no one names their kids Jesus today, but back in the day, this was the most prevalent name given to children. Everyone was named Jesus. And in the moment, right, all the Jews are expecting someone like Moses, someone like David, someone who is a redeemer, a conquering king. They're looking for someone who militarily would come and would, and would conquer the Roman Empire. Listen, hear this. There was nothing spiritual in nature that they were expecting from the Messiah. They weren't expecting anything to happen spiritually. They were literally just physically expecting a king to arise who would conquer Rome and set them free. But God looks and says, you're dreaming too small. I, I, could, I could conquer the Roman Empire, or I could conquer the sin that rules our world. Which one do you want? And so Jesus comes as Messiah, right? Not this conquering king they're expecting, but one who gives them victory over sin, gives them victory over death and hell and sickness. Which one is bigger? This is this beautiful picture. We come and say, you are Messiah. You are conquering king. This is magnificent and more than we could ever dream imaginable. The third thing we see. Verse 22, it says, The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Number three is Emmanuel. God is with us. Don't lose sight of the mystery, the miracle, and I would say in this, don't lose sight of the blasphemy. This is blasphemous, at least in the culture of the day, that God and perfection would come and live among a sinful people. That God would lower himself to come into the form 
of a lowly human being. Not only that, I mean, it makes sense if he came as a king and established his rule, but he came, came as, a, as a completely needy and vulnerable, screaming at the top of his lungs, infant, living in a barn. This is blasphemous to think that God, who is holy, would come and do this. But, but in doing it, we, we, find, we find just this, this incredible sense of peace. Why? Because he's a God who came as a human being, put skin on, so he could be tempted in every way, just like you have, so he can be sympathetic to our struggles in life. That he suffered his own, his own struggles, his own loss, his own brokenness in life. So he can understand with empathy what we experience in our own lives. He's a God who didn't just come and say, hey, I'm for you, I'm cheering for you. No, he's a God who came and lived and fought for us so that he could say to us, never will I leave you again and never will, our, will I forsake you. I am with you forever. This is right theology. This is who God is and how he relates to humanity. This is magnificent. This is overwhelming. This is worthy of our worshiping fully with everything that we have. And so in this moment, right, this, this should inspire awe inside of us. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. It's a simple thing. Again, me trying to fix you, trying to make Christmas perfect. Here's what I want to ask you and invite you to do. I want to implore you with everything inside of me. This Christmas season, this Advent season, I, listen, I want you to choose to fight for worship. Flight pattern taken right off over your house. You're standing at the manger with Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, and the, the consumerism, the busyness, and the hecticness, and all the things that I read, right? The tension that we face is, is it has its flight pattern hover, ready, ready to fly right over you. And I'm asking you, with everything inside of you, to fight. When you feel like you're being drugged away, when you feel like you're being just pulled into the busyness and the hecticness, I want you to stop where you are and I want you to fight. I want you to fight for worship. I want you to fight for, for a life that fully worships. I want you to, to, to remember the magnificence. I want you to engage the magnificence. I want you to turn on music. I want you to, to open the scripture. I want you to sit with the advent calendar that we're going through. I want you to sit in worship. I want you to pray. I want you to fight to worship fully. I want you to fight against all of this. And I want you to make the center of all that you're doing worship. Listen, you may still be busy. You may still celebrate Santa and the gifts and all that kind of stuff. You may still be going to family, but let me tell you something. In the midst of all of that, worship can define all that you do. Remember we said, anything that we do for the purpose of honoring and glorifying God, for the purpose of loving Him, can be worship. And so we want to be a people who worship 
who come to the feet of Jesus at the manger. We come and we say, God, we want, with our right theology, we want to see you. And when we see you, God, we want to hear from you. We want you to direct us. We want you to give us clarity. We want to be a people who see your magnificence and who worship fully with all that we have. Choose to worship, choose to fight for the wonder, choose to fight for the knowledge of the magnificence and the awe of the season. Choose today to fight. Fight for it. Christmas is about entering, listen, it's about entering the story of Jesus more deeply than we ever have with a desire to worship more fully. I'm entering into the story. I'm entering into right theology. I'm entering into the truth of who he is. And I'm allowing that truth to be awakened in me in such a way that it causes me to worship. Right? We have a change. We have a change in our theology. Here's what happens. Listen to this. As I come to the feet of Jesus, hear this. This is new to some of you. When I come to the feet of Jesus and I begin to acknowledge who he is and begin to worship him, he begins to give me direction. He begins to give me clarity. He begins to help me wrestle to the tension that I face. He begins to give me clarity and understanding of what I need to do with my family and my kids and the money. And all of a sudden, the, the idol of my children's expectation, I die to it because he's shown me Jesus. And I recognize if my children are let down for a moment, they will thank me when they get to be about 30 years old. Do you see what I'm getting at? He, he helps us die to competing with the Joneses to only care about what he thinks. This only happens at the feet of Jesus. I mean, basically, we should say, who cares what our children want at Christmas? They're not leading us. We're leading them. And so whatever that looks like, we ask, so Jesus, give us clarity and understanding, God. What does it mean to love my child? What does it mean to to love you? What does it mean to worship you fully? What does it mean in all of these things? But here's the tension. Here's the wrestling for for each of us that I want you to wrestle with in this week of about work. Like when you're processing this worshiping fully and coming to him. Listen, worship is birthed out of our knowledge and revelation of Jesus in our lives. Right. Like I, I, I the only way I worship is if I see something magnificent. Right. The only way I see something magnificent about Jesus is if I'm looking at Jesus. And so the idea for us is very clear. He must be living in us. He must be alive in us and he must be real to us. Because if he is not, then our actions are just legalistic things that don't produce life. Don't just change the way that you do Christmas to change it. Sit at the feet of Jesus, listen to him, allow him to give you direction on these things. And in doing so, magnificence will be released and you'll automatically begin to worship. Worship is birthed in seeing and experiencing something magnificent. As I sit at the feet of Jesus, I'm telling you, it will be like a 108-yard TD reception versus Alabama, praise God. It will have that level of magnificence. It will cause us to worship. And I'm telling you, it's not just going to happen. You're not going to stumble and fall into it. Go, oh, there's oh, magnificence. No, it's something that you have to fight for. 
We're wasting our time for the next three weeks talking about spending less, giving more, and loving all, unless we get to the point of actually choosing to engage Jesus as we fight for it. Men, are you man enough to fight for it? Women, do you love him enough? Are you woman enough to fight for it? Fight for worship. Fight against the flight pattern. Fight for Jesus and worship him fully in the holiday season. I'm going to invite Harvest to come. Let's bring the lights back down low. Hayden, for them, this look like it was when they were writing because they're going to write again. I want you to take your brown piece of paper out and your pen. As you write the, I had you write on the sheet of paper. You can bring those questions back up if you don't mind, Hayden. The questions that I had you answer, right? Number one, how has God been with you? Celebration, right? The worship. We're worshiping him fully. We're thanking him and praising him for what he's done and who he is. Second one was, how do you want God to be with you this Christmas? After this message, I want to see, are there things that you would do different? Are there things that you would write down? Are there things that you want to praise him for? Are there things that you want God to do this Christmas that are awakened in you after hearing the message? Do you want God to awaken a heart that's undone by his magnificence? And what I want you to do is I want you just... As harvest begins to the team begin to lead us, I want you just to I want you to begin to to write those things down. And then for our response today, here's what I want you to do. We have these communion tables that we're, we're gonna that we're in the process of pulling. We're gonna put them up front. For the next four weeks, we're gonna take communion. It's an act of worship. That the early church, this right here, was the number one way that the church has worshipped from, from since the time of Jesus. And what I'm going to ask you to do is this. When you are ready, I want you to come from the sides. Hear that. Don't come up the middle because you're going to confuse traffic. I want you to come from the sides when, the, when God leads you. And I want you to come and I want you to take communion as an act of worship and a response this morning. Individually. I want you to do it individually, right? Not as a family. We're going to do that later, later in, the, in, the, in the weeks to come. Individually, I want you to take it. If you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you've made him Lord of your life, then take communion. If you have not then don't take communion. Only for this, this is a belief for believers, those who love him, who know him, walking with him. There are things you need to repent of before you come to the table, then repent. Turn away from those things, right? Give yourself to Jesus. So here, and I want you to take communion, then I want you to come, and I want you to do two things. You're going to make an offering. If you have a financial offering you brought today, I want you to put it